0: You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories.
1: Portland has three timeouts while The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot! What crimes with no regard for human life? Jordan, oh, a
0: spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. I'm Aaron Fishman. Happy December, and happy holidays past, present, and just ahead. I'm joined by my friend and usual co-host Lauren on the Sacramento Kings episode, but it's not just LLC and me. This episode is centered around our friend James Hamm's insights into the Kings' surprise 11-11 start to the season. Our interview with the NBC Sports Bay Area and NBC Sports California reporter was recorded Saturday afternoon prior to the Pacers game. Therefore, Sacramento's 10 and 11 start will be referenced because the Kings had not yet hung on to defeat Indiana by a point to get back to 500. While it was a coincidence that we're bringing on the ham man around Thanksgiving and Christmas time, just know that the irony was not completely lost on us. Anyway, The Kings represent a fascinating storyline. While the organizational dysfunction remains, the youthful Kings are playing at the league's second-fastest pace and winning games while showing off thrilling youngsters De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley III, a combined 39 years of age. Coach Dave Yeager is doing his darndest to guide this team to its first postseason appearance in 13 years, but the West is as loaded as ever. Enough of me talking. Let's hear from the ham man himself. So early this season, we identified the Sacramento Kings as one of the league's surprise teams. They've been really fun to watch for a variety of reasons that we'll delve into. But I'm just really glad to have you on, James. I always like having you on the show.
1: Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: It's our pleasure. Should be a good discussion. You follow the Kings very closely. You were just a shoot around ahead of the game tonight against the Pacers So the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is just the current state of the team. They began 6-3. and They had some big, exciting wins. just seemed to be a vibe around town and, and just around the organization that hadn't been there in years past. Recently, they've fallen on a little bit harder times as the schedule's gotten a little bit more difficult. But what have you seen basically from the team thus far?
1: You know, actually, this team, this is my ninth season covering Sacramento Kings, and it's just a breath of fresh air. It's a young group of guys. They get along. They sit in the the locker room during pregame, all hanging out, all laughing on their phone, showing each other stupid memes on the internet. It's just a totally different feel than anything I've been around in Sacramento. It actually feels like they're building something. And I think a lot of people might have got ahead of themselves thinking, oh, my gosh, playoffs or, you know, this team has a chance uh, to do something special. But if you look at the Western Conference, it's so incredibly difficult. And this young team, they, they see that and they know it, but they come out every night and they play with a speed and a pace that teams just can't keep up with. We're seeing a little bit, I don't even think it is as much a scheduling Uh, the scheduling getting more difficult as much as I think it is teams adapting a little bit to what the Kings are doing. They get the ball out of the hoop on the defensive end and they get it back inbounds and they're down the court within two or three seconds all the time. And what they do is they really dominate teams in the third quarter typically, and they run away from them. And teams are literally shocked, surprised, then they're winded and they run them off the court. So it's been fun to watch. You know, they're on a three-game losing streak. They've had some drama around the team, which is always a topic in Sacramento. Can they avoid the drama? But at the same time, they're a young group that I think they're really they're building something special. They've they've got themselves in a perfect situation when it comes to the salary cap. Uh, when it comes to being a buyer in this market, and they have you know roughly sixty million in cap space next summer, so they position themselves well. They've got a lot of talent. They're young. They're energetic. It is a breath of fresh air in Sacramento.
0: Those are really good introductory remarks, too. You hit on a lot of things that we're going to touch on more, like the fast pace, the drama, and um, teams adjusting a little bit to them. Just a quick question, though. I know we're only a quarter of the way through the season. It's a really loaded Western conference, and the standings are just so tight right now. But How would you assess the team's prospects for finally ending that postseason draft?
1: You know, I don't know. I don't know what we have here. I think that that's one of the more interesting things. I mean, right now at 10 and 11, they're almost at the bottom of the Western Conference. But if they went on a five-game winning streak, they could be on top of the Western Conference. And their schedule really does get easier in early December you know they're about. To, they play the Pacers on Saturday evening, but then they go into a, a four-game road trip where they rattle off, you know, a lot of winnable games. I mean, you're talking about the Phoenix Suns, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They go to Indiana, which is always tough, but then the Chicago Bulls. So while you know if they can sneak out a win against the Pacers today and, and split with the Pacers, but that would put them back to 500, and then if they win three out of four on the road against teams that realistically they should beat, now you're looking at 14 and 12. And they're back over 500, you know, heading into mid-December. And they've got winnable games up and down the schedule. I think they've got a shot. I think they need help, but they do have a chance to actually make some waves. It just really depends on whether they can avoid the drama.
0: Yeah, I want to see new blood in the Western Conference playoffs. It's been 12 seasons since they made the playoffs. This would be the 13th straight year out of the playoffs if they don't get in. And I saw that they haven't won more than 33 games in a season since 2008. I know it's really early, but they look like they're in good shape to surpass that mark. Let's hope that they do and that things continue to go well. De'Aaron Fox, though, has undoubtedly been a huge part of their early success just shooting lights out from all over the court. This is his second year in the NBA, and he definitely showed flashes last year, but he's just so consistent so far, just shooting really well and guiding their fast pace that's been so effective. I'm sure you thought he would be good, but at 20, did you expect him to be this good this early?
1: You know, I don't think anyone did. To unpack a couple of things here, first of all, every day I do my game day, and as part of my game day, Uh, I have to figure out what the spread is for the game. And again, the Kings have 10 wins. They've been favored one time the entire season. And to me, that's nuts. Vegas has them at like 25 and a half on the year. And I thought that that was maybe even a little bit high coming into the year. But it does bring the discussion back to De'Aaron Fox. Because I started to hear it really early. The Kings, a lot of the young players were in Sacramento uh, for, you know, the weeks leading up to training camp, they were here because they're young and they're having a good time working out together and playing basketball together at all hours, pickup games and everything else. And the word around Sacramento was the second De'Aaron Fox stepped back on the court, everyone, everyone in the franchise was like, "Uh Oh, what in the world is this? (laughs) He was just completely different. He, from top to bottom, He's worked, he added 15 pounds of muscle. I'm sure that that, he will not be able to keep that throughout the season just because he's a very, very lean, wiry guy. He'll have to do that every offseason, bulk up. And then, you know, by age 25, 26, he'll be able to retain a little bit of that weight, but not at, at 20 years old. What I love is that mentally he's taken just a monstrous leap. He just gets it. And A lot of NBA players, you know, it takes five years to get it. Some NBA players, they never get it. And I've been around plenty of guys who just, they never, ever get it. He's figured out the NBA. He's figured out how he can be successful. He's watched a lot of game film. It was something even last season, the Kings knew that mentally he's a guy that could take a huge leap. I I was talking to Dwayne Tickner, one of the assistant coaches one day. And Fox had just turned the ball over seven times the game before. And he's like, I pulled him aside. I said, hey, I want to go over your turnovers from the game. And he goes, okay. So he went to pull out his iPad and he goes, yeah, I don't need that. I can walk you through each of the turnovers. What do you want to know? And he said that Fox knew exactly what he did and what he did wrong on every single one of the, the turnovers. He had it logged in his memory almost like he was the iPad. And that's something for me that shows you that he has an intellect, uh, that that he has an understanding of the game that's advanced. And so I think to watch him go out and perform like this, it might be surprising. But then on the other hand, you could see the talent the whole time. It was just how long is it going to take him to figure it out? And I thought this year, I think I predicted he would Average like 16 and a half and seven. And I think that might still be where he ends up. You know, 82 games is a long schedule for anybody, especially Mm -hmm. when you're running at this pace, but he could also jump up and be a 20 and an eight, 28 and a half by the end of this season. I mean, he is incredibly talented and what we see the way that he's able to change speed and change direction in traffic while people are all around him his handles everything else is just next level and again the king saw the second he stepped on the the practice floor before training camp they said he lost one game of pickup in the like two or three weeks leading up to training camp he was just dominant and they were like holy cow this is a different player a completely different player and that's what we've seen so far on the court. And lastly, you know, I've always thought that his career trajectory would look a little bit like Mike Connolly. you know, left-handed, quick, a lot of similar skill set. De'Aaron Fox laughs at that because he's like, well, Mike really isn't the athlete that I am. And he's right. And that's what we've seen. And if you look at where Mike Connolly was in his second season, where De'Aaron Fox is right now, it's not even a comparison. They aren't even in the same ballpark. I think that Fox is going to be long-term a much better pro than what we've seen from Connelly, and, and that's that's really high praise because I think Connelly is a tremendous player. But the athleticism is crazy. The game that he had a triple-double, it looked like he figured out that he could out jump anyone on the court at any time to go get a rebound, and it was shocking. And I think it even caught him off guard at just how easy it was. And those are moments where you're going to see him grow from.
2: Yeah, it's been really impressive to watch his progression this season. One of the interesting stats that the NBA keeps track of is average in-game speed. And of players who log 30-plus minutes per game, De'Aaron Fox is fourth in that category so far. You made mention of this earlier. One of the biggest changes we've seen... From last season, is the pace they play at. Last year, they ranked dead last in pace. This season, so far, they're second in the league in that category. Obviously, some of that attributed to De'Aaron Fox, but what other factors do you see playing into that change?
1: Well, you know what? The team is really designed around De'Aaron Fox. So, you know, in previous years with the Kings that I've covered, It was always designed around DeMarcus Cousins, and you tried to find players that complemented DeMarcus. I think the Kings did a really nice job of looking at the roster that they had, looking at the guys that were in the draft, the pieces that were in the draft, and thinking, how, how would each of these guys fit? And how do I get this team to play a different style? Now, I think they made some horrible miscalculations last year because they went out and they got Fox. And when I look at Fox, and I look at Willie Cauley-Stein, and even what they had in Scalabissier, what they have in Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich, which they had no idea how good Bogdanovich would be until he got here. And he's just, he's an X-level player as well. But when you look at the team that they had, and then you put Fox in it, it looks like what we see this year. But last year, After they made the draft pick of Fox, they went out and they got George Hill, who is one of the slowest guards in the league. He plays at one of the slowest paces in the league. And then you look at Zach Randolph, who, I mean, at 36 years old last year and 37 this year, I mean, he is a grit and grind, slow it down to a crawl and let him back down into the the paint and go. So I think they they had the wrong ingredients last year, and then they come into this offseason And really, they made three moves, but it's really there are two moves that they made that have made a huge impact. And that is the drafting of Marvin Bagley. And I know a lot of people are still wondering why the Kings didn't draft Luka Doncic, but I think it's style of play. It's the presence of Bogdanovich, who they think is a very good player. And it's the speed that they wanted to play at. And Bagley is 6'11 and can sprint the floor like a gazelle. And just makes so much sense when you see him in the lens of the Aaron Fox is my is star one A. Can I find a star one B or a star one plus? And so that's what they're looking for. They're looking for ingredients that work with the Fox. A- and then again, the second is Nemanja Bialica. He's been so much better than anyone expected, but he provides that three point shooting that spaces the floor and allows a guy like Fox to sprint up and down the court. So again, I think what they did to get this pace, to get this style of play is they went out and they grabbed a couple of pieces that just make so much sense for what you're trying to do. And then when they got to training camp, we started hearing it like day two. Everyone was looking at media saying, we are running so much. This is like boot camp. We are sprinting nonstop. So what the Kings did is knowing what they were going to do on the season, they took a gigantic leap of faith and said, we're going to try to push a tempo. But in order to do that, we are going to be in the best physical shape that we can possibly be in. And that's what we're seeing when they hit the third quarter and you see teams come out and they got a little, little tired legs from the first half and they're coming out a little stiff. The kings put the foot on the gas and run them off the court, and they just keep coming at you. And you know, Buddy Hield was a track star when he was young. His family is filled with track stars. De'Aaron Fox is clearly the fastest guard in the NBA, uh, whether the stats back it up or not. He is the fastest guard in the NBA, and then all of these other players are guys who can fly up and down the court, and. Dave Yeager has done a remarkable job of instituting enough of an offense to get them a taste. And then as the season has gone on, because they are so young and because they can practice the next day all the time, he does. He he has more practices than almost any team that I've ever seen. I am here at this arena all the time because the Kings practice and practice and practice. And he's trying to slowly institute a bigger playbook because A lot of these guys just haven't been in the league long enough to know everything. So the half-court grind, it gets a little crazy. They aren't great in the half-court, although they're getting better. And having Bogdanovich back on the court is huge for that because he's a spectacular two-man player. And so slowly, we're seeing this team evolve from just a running team to hide all of their other issues, which they, of course, have issues. But then they're learning on the fly as well on how to... Manage a game when the team gets you in a half court situation and, and you got to grind it out. So, and lastly, on that point, Jaeger's talked about this, but they don't have the luxury in the last four minutes of a game of playing possession ball, of looking at the game as 12 possessions and we got to win five of those possessions and hold them to three makes or whatever. They don't have that luxury. What they have to do in the fourth quarter and the last four minutes is the same thing that they have to do in the first minute of the first quarter, and that is run, 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 because if they get in a slowdown, grind it out game, then that's where their inexperience shows, and they've done a really nice job of holding on to the ball. Maybe they have nights where they turn the ball over too much, but really for the pace and speed that they're playing and the age of the players on the court, they're really doing a remarkable job of holding on to the ball and just running the whole game.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting set of personnel that they've assembled around De'Aaron Fox. There's a little bit of push and pull between embracing this whole youth movement, obviously with a lot of future potential on the team, and integrating some of the uh, veteran players that they do have around the team. It's caused recently a little bit of drama in between Coach Yeager and the front office. Reportedly, Yeager asked Assistant DM Brandon Williams to leave Thursday shoot around early. Um, sources say I guess some of that tension has to do with how much Jaeger is featuring the young guys, especially Marvin Bagley. What are your thoughts on that situation?
1: You know, it's a really difficult situation for for Dave because he talks about this all the time that he has he has to serve a lot of masters, and that's always such a really strange statement when I hear it. But when you look at what the Kings are trying to do. You know, they don't have a 2019 draft pick. So they, they have no reason to lose. And that's a really interesting idea in the NBA circles because a lot of teams do have reasons to lose, especially you look at what Duke is doing with their young team and everybody in the, in the league is looking at Zion Williamson and, you know, looking at their players and saying, how are we going to get that guy? Well, the Kings don't have that luxury. So what they have to do is, is Jaeger has to balance winning with developing young players. And that doesn't always feel right to somebody on the outside who isn't allowed to have, you know, a voice in the coaching of the team. But when I look at what Jaeger did last season, where the Kings brought in George Hill, and Jaeger made De'Aaron Fox earn his starting job it was very quickly apparent that he was going to be the starting point guard, that he was better than George Hill on most nights. But he waited 15 games into the season before he actually made the switch. And a lot of that is because your front office goes out and spends $19 million, signs a guy to a three-year $57 million deal. Well, that's where we're talking about this whole serving masters. If your general manager goes out and signs a guy to a $57 million deal, you better play him. And so you have all of these different forces pulling against you. Now, this situation with Brandon and Dave, I don't know if it can get better. You know, I, I think that there was so much goodwill going on, and there still is with this team. They're playing so far above expectations. But clearly, there's a motivation to get Marvin Bagley more court time. And and that's a motivation from everybody. I mean, Dave Yeager would like to have Marvin Bagley on the court more too. But when your team plays better, when Nemanja Bialica is on the court, and while Marvin Bagley was the number two overall pick in the draft, Nemanja Bialica signed a three-year $21 million deal from your general manager right before the season started. So again, now I have two opposing ideas, two opposing forces And that's something that management needs to figure out because Dave's job is to coach the team. And I've been told from multiple people that when it comes to who is going to play and how they're going to play, he may have in his mind that he has to play somebody because of this reason or that reason. But in reality, they want Dave Yeager to win games and develop players. Don't leave your, your star young players behind. But at the same time, you have to develop these guys. And, you know, it, it's a difficult situation, but Jaeger is playing two veterans. That's it. Only two veterans see the court at all. And that's Iman Shumpert and, and Uh Iman Shumpert is out of necessity because the Kings walked into the season without a starting level small forward for like the second straight season. And that's, it's just not great. But I'll tell you this. If the Kings would have had a 23-year-old version or a 24-year-old version of, Nemanja Bialica and signed him, he would be doing the same thing. Jaeger would be playing him because it spaces the floor for De'Aaron Fox. It creates all of the running lanes for Fox. And while Bagley and Fox eventually will be the right, the right fit together, they aren't today because Bagley, you know, might have an 18 to 20 foot jumper, but it's not a knockdown jump shot. He's more of a go get your own basket type of guy, go get offensive rebounds, go hustle, get some opportunities in the post as a back down guy. So look, there's a lot of drama and it's not healthy. It's never healthy. But I I think if this team can get out of its own way, they do have a shot to to have a really fun and good season. Mm -hmm. And I hope that these issues go away because they're they're not fun to write about not fun to talk about. I was at shoot around. I was the only one at shoot around. I knew exactly what had happened. Not too long after that. It was just an awkward situation. But I don't blame Dave, because if you have this, this ship going the right way, and the culture going the right way, and you have all of these outside forces that are pulling at you one way or another, who should I play? Who should I not play all of these things? It's, it's really complex. But Mm-hmm. You're winning. You're doing the right things. And you need that other stuff that people going to reporters and trying to leverage and trying to push. You need that to go away. But that, that stuff has no business being part of the discussion. When at that point, what, what was a team like 10 and eight or, you know, they're, they're over 500, shockingly over 500, 500. And I'll go back to Vegas has them winning one game. The Atlanta Hawks game, they are favored by two. Every other game this season, the wow. Kings are not favored to win. Tonight, against the Pacers, without Victor Oladipo, the Kings on their home court are two-point underdogs.
2: Whoa.
1: And, and so, that's why I'm talking like, this team is playing so much better than anyone expected. And, and, and it's crazy. I mean, so just back off, let them do their job. Let them be successful. Marvin Bagley will eventually get more and more minutes because he's that good. And eventually he will command those minutes, but until he can do the things that Nemanja can do like space the floor, then he's not going to start. He's not going to play 40 minutes. He's not going to play 36 minutes. And you just have to, you have to accept that, that it worked last year with George Hill. This year, it will work with Nemanja Bielitsa. When you unleash Marvin Bagley as a full-time starter next year, I guarantee you he will be just fine, and I expect the same type of quantum leap that we've seen from Fox.
0: Yeah, the drama is really regrettable, but the veteran-youth mix that we're seeing, I think, is a really interesting dynamic and just how Jaeger navigates that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Hi, this is Kelly Dwyer, and
1: please remember this week to download and listen to On The NBA
0: Beat. I thought it was interesting how essentially Divac lured him away from leaving for Europe, and now he's just turning in a career year, the best that we've seen from him in the NBA. And then Shumpert's hitting threes at nearly a 40% clip. I'm not sure how sustainable that is if you look at his recent seasons, But so far, it's working for him and the Kings, and that's helping them spread the floor. But going more into this about Bagley and and, um, whether to start him or not and and, um, what kind of minutes you can get him to accelerate his progress, I'd love to hear more on your early impressions of him. I love that lefty hook that we're seeing from him. Just such a quick release, and it's so hard to guard given his length. Just love that. I know he suffered a seemingly minor back injury against the Clippers on Thursday night. So we're hoping that doesn't keep him out too long, if any, at all. But yeah, talk to us a little bit more about this exciting young guy.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love his game. The cool thing about him is that long term, he might be a five. He might be a a center, especially if you're going to play at the pace that the Kings are playing at. But he's so incredibly long and crazy athletic. Everyone talks about his second jump, and his second jump is remarkable. But I'd only heard it in regards to his rebounding and his offense. I've seen his second jump on the defensive side of the ball as well. And to me, that's where I, I think that, you know, clearly his defensive understanding isn't off the charts. The Kings are struggling in the pick and roll and it's not just him. Their guards are getting broken down and he's not the only big who's struggling with the idea of how to, how to play the pick and roll, how to, how to do advanced offensive schemes, which is why the Kings got really smashed by the Clippers because they weren't able to keep up with, with the reads, what was happening on the defensive end. So I think Bagley as like a defensive player He's a work in progress, but he's not some sieve that we've seen from other players that come into the league. He's got 25 blocks on the season, which is 15 more than Willie Cauley Stein, uh, which is its own issue, but he's a guy that just really is aggressive and goes out on both ends of the floor and he tries hard and we're not seeing him get in foul trouble uh, we've seen him hit quite a few three pointers. Well, a handful of three pointers. He he started off pretty hot. He's shooting uh 30.4% from three, but he's only shooting the one, three a game and a couple of games he's hit two or three and that's bumped up his numbers. So he's a 19 year old. And that's something that I think people forget all the time. You see this guy who goes out there, he's doing some things and You're like, okay, where does he project? How good can he be? And uh, when you see Jaron Jackson getting major minutes in uh, Memphis, but out of necessity because uh, Jemichael Green got hurt, that's the guy who kind of, it like starts to put outside pressure on how much Bagley should play. What's Bagley's stats look like? Uh, DeAndre Ayton is getting free run. You know, Uh, Carter is getting a lot of minutes Mm. in Chicago. So these are things that, you know, start to put some outside pressure on Bagley himself because he wants to compete. He's a guy who came in and told everybody that he thought he should be the first pick in the draft. Look, when it's all said and done five years from now, I don't know if Bagley will be the best player in this draft, but I don't think he'll be outside of the top three or four. And that means that the Kings did at least, you know, they didn't swing for the fences and, and come up with a whiff. I mean, they've got a kid who's, you know, over his last six games, 16.3 points, 10 rebounds per game. He has played extremely well as he's gotten more and more comfortable as he got more minutes again, as Bogdanovich has gotten healthy and then able to play the two man game with him. uh, That's where I really see him succeeding. I think long-term he is going to be a beast. He's going to be a sort of a, a, transcendent player at the position because I think he can do a lot at the four and we're only going to see him get better. We're only going to see him get more confident with his ball handling, with his shooting from the perimeter, but he has all of the tools and I expect him to be an all-star level player and in the same way that I think Fox will be an all-star level player. They both have the, uh, the skill level, the, the talent, uh, to be that type of player. And they both have the drive and, Uh, Lastly, they both wanted to be in Sacramento very badly. And I don't know why that is, uh, because not everyone wants to be in Sacramento. Both Fox and uh, and Bagley wanted to be here before the draft, and they're so excited that they are here. They love the city. They love the community, which means that they can be long-term fixtures for this team, which I think is a good thing. I even – De'Aaron Fox said early in the season that he had made – one other visit with one other team before the draft. And he's like, but I shouldn't have, this is where I wanted to be the whole time. And it wasn't like he was, he was talking to the camera. He was just saying like, this is where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's good. And that, you know, Bagley has that as well.
0: Exploring the young roster a little bit more, Buddy Heald is now leading the team in scoring. And again, he's just so reliable from beyond the three point arc and Willie Cauley-Stein continues to make big strides. I think I know where you're going with this answer, but just quickly, which of those two are you more excited about his progress of those two and why?
1: You know, for me, it's Buddy Hield. I, oh, I, I was I, wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh,
0: you're I thought you were going WCS.
1: No, I, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, Buddy came into the league as like a crazy worker everyone knew that. I mean, he's a, he's a Kobe Bryant disciple. He's a guy who, uh, you know, was a Rob Polinka client and loves Kobe Bryant and wants to, you know, wants to know how do I get there? And the answer is, well, you work hard. And so for buddy that meant taking, you know, a thousand shots a day, every day. So he's an elite shooter. He walks into the league as an elite scorer in college, but really as an elite shooter at the NBA. So you have your skill. But what we're seeing from Buddy Hield is him to progress as a player. And for me, he's an above average rebounder for a starting shooting guard. You know, he averages right around 5.6 uh, rebounds per game. He came into the league as a horrible passer. He still has to work on it, but he's up to 2.6 assists per game. Those are things that he could not have done in his rookie season. He could not have done last year, but he's understanding how to play the pick and roll, how to feed the guy going to the basket. Because there was a time where two guys would just double team him in every single pick and roll situation because a, his ball handling was up, wasn't up to par and B, they knew he wasn't going to pass it. And that is going away. His ball handling is improved. Everything that you want for a young player to do, I think Buddy Hill has done. Now, I I think a lot of people look and say, well, he's 25 or 24 going on 25, whatever it is. But look, he played competitively in the Bahamas, which means you played competitively at at like the Y or at uh, 24 hour fitness, you know, as a young kid. So this isn't he's not used to the the quality of players and everything. And I think coming into this season, most people around this organization believed this, and this is the telling thing. They believe that Buddy Heald is an NBA player, but he would always be better suited playing against second teams because they didn't think he could defend second teams that uh, they, they he could defend starters in the league. And they didn't think that he could get loose on the offensive end against first team players. I think that that's changed completely. Uh, What he's done in the first half of this season or the first 20 games of the season is that he's proven he is an NBA starter. And he's averaging 18 points, four points per game. Uh, He's he's had a couple of bad games, which has pushed that down a little bit. He's getting to the line more, although he's only gotten to the line two times a game this year. Uh, That's much better than than the one time per game he got to last year. Uh, Once he figures out how to draw contact, he will take another huge leap and can easily be a 20 to 22 point scorer per game in this league. And when you pair him with the running style of De'Aaron Fox and the high basketball IQ of uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, I I think like he really does take that next step and can be a really, really good player for this team. Long-term. I mean, I think he can lead this team in scoring for years now, will he be the best player? No, he's not going to be the best player, but he can lead this team in scoring without any question. And he could lead a lot of teams in scoring because he has that elite skill, but he's improving everywhere else. Now, as far as Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, he talks about it being consistent and, and being that guy that, that can come out and bring it every night, which is something he struggled with throughout his career. He started off so, so well, and I, I think everyone around the team was like, oh, man, how much are we going to have to pay this guy? Because he's a restrictive free agent this summer. I think he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, he's still averaging, you know, 14.6 and uh, a quality like 8.2 rebounds per game. That's more than he's ever averaged as far as rebounds. Um, but when I look at the fact that De'Aaron Fox has the same amount of block shots as him, uh, Buddy Heald has one less. Nemanja Bjelica has one more. That's not going to work out. He needs to be a, a defensive force, and he's been really good offensively, especially in the pick and roll and as a rim runner, and he's so incredibly athletic. Uh, if you if you haven't ever watched the video, just type in Willie Cauley-Stein High School Football, and you can watch him on YouTube as a seven-foot dude running up and down the field with people trying to tackle him. I think he caught for over 1,300 yards as a senior uh, he has an ability to adjust the balls in the air that is elite. I think he's really, really got a a chance to be a long term NBA player. But I don't know that he's a guy that you build your franchise around. He's more consistent this year, but he hasn't really found like what it is to be consistent every single game, every single minute that you're on the floor. And it's something that he's still struggling with. You know, going in, he's in year four. And I think the Kings will allow him to set his value on the open market. And then they'll make a decision on whether they retain him long-term or not. I think coming into this season, there wasn't a lot of potential for him to be around long-term. I think the way he's played in most games, has that that's changed the mentality here in Sacramento. And we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out in the end. And if someone throws you know $20 million a year at him or... Or if he's more reasonable, like a four-year forty-eight or something, then I, I think he he would stick around in Sacramento.
2: James, we really appreciate you taking so much time to talk to us today. This will just be the last question. It'll I guess a little bit open-ended. We've talked earlier about how currently they're going through a little bit of a rougher stretch winning only four of the last twelve games. During that stretch, they rank 29th in defensive efficiency, which has been a, a little bit of a weakness for them over the past few years. Um, do you see that as their biggest weakness so far this season? And also, I want to get your opinion on future team building as the organization is going through this sort of transitional period where they're going from uh, their youth movement to like filling out these types of needs and where the focus should be at the trade deadline and heading into next offseason, as you mentioned, they have $60 in cap space to be used next summer.
1: Okay, so I'll be really quick with the defensive side. Look, when you run out a roster with... It's not just how young they are. I think that that's a misconception, right? They're very young, but they're also very inexperienced, uh, especially at the NBA level. I mean, even the Elitsa who, you know, is a 30-year-old guy. He's only been in the league three years. And Bogdanovich is a 26-year-old guy, but he's a second-year player. De'Aaron Fox, second-year player. Buddy Hill, third-year player. Uh, uh, Harry Giles, realistically, he's a rookie. Marvin Bagley, rookie. Justin Jackson, second-year player. Okay, so eight of the 10-man rotation is four seasons or less in the league, but it's more than that. It's if you take out Willie Cauley-Stein, now we're looking at, like, Seven guys. Uh, they're gonna make dis- mistakes defensively. They all thrive on offense. They're running a frenetic offense where everyone is getting touches. Everybody's happy about that side of the you know the ball. But the defensive side, it takes time to simmer in the pot to be together to understand how to be a you know uh, how to rotate, understand how to cover each other on the pick and roll, understand all of these nuances, even like angles and how to be vocal. these are things that they're developing with this young group. And so I think that they're going to be fine defensively, but that's going to be eventual. You know, it, it will take, you know, it might not be this season. It might be next season. It might be the season after. I mean, we're seeing one of the most talented young rosters in the league the Minnesota Timberwolves last year who couldn't play defense at all. I mean, they were so bad defensively and they had Jimmy Butler on the team. And so, I think defense is, is a thing that gets, it's a little overblown. Uh, it's something that they know they have to get better at. Um, and it's just really tough because it's not, I I think a little bit of it is man to man defense, but most of it is scheming. And when they go up against a team, that's a seasoned veteran team, which they have nonstop in the first half of the season, that's where they, they really get into an issue, you know, teams like Utah that run the pick and roll to death. And, Uh, Even teams like the Warriors that have a really intricate offense, you have to learn those things. And the way you learn them as you play against those teams and you scout them the best you can, but the Kings are still in that mode where you're looking at yourself more than you are against your opponent uh, because they're still trying to teach these guys how to play. Um, So that's where I would go on the defensive end. It's an issue. Um, But as far as how they build this roster going forward, look, I don't know if the Kings are too pieces away if they're three pieces away if they're one piece away uh but what i do know is that the idea that they would be a salary dump spot where they might get a first round pick and just eat up this cap space that they have uh i think that that idea is starting to go out the window um you know i do know that they're they're interested in a guy like Otto porter uh who has a tremendous salary and the the Washington Wizards, not only are they over the luxury tax right now and on the hook for almost $12 million in luxury tax this season, but next season, they're they're looking at repeat offender luxury tax, uh, John Wall salary going from 19 to $38 million. There's no way they can afford a $38 million John Wall, a $27 million Otto Porter, and a $27 million Bradley Beal and then in Mianmi's contract that won't go away. Um you know so that's a team where I think that the Kings could go in there and provide massive massive cap relief. Uh and what we're talking about is it, they could take say so they could take Ben McLemore and Zebo and just that 17 million dollars in contract take back 26 million and in that transaction Washington would save over $20 million this year, $21 million between just raw salary and luxury tax. And it would get them off the hook for next season where they would be a repeat offender. And you're looking at tens of millions of dollars just in luxury tax. So I I think the Kings can be players there. Uh, What they really need is a starting level small forward. That's not any disrespect to Iman Shumper, who I think has been actually really good and a really big surprise for the Kings this year, but he's six foot five. He's really a shooting guard. Who's being forced to play the small forward position because the Kings just don't have any, any size or length at that position. And uh, you go up against a team like the Clippers and they run Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari. And you're in all kinds of trouble because they got two, six eleven dudes running forwards on you and you can't stop either one of them. So I think that realistically, the center position will work itself out either with Willie Cauley-Stein or Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles being able to fill that position long-term. I think that uh, the power forward position, again, you have the same group of young players, but you can throw in Nemanja Lisa there. Uh, their backcourt, they're going to start going to a three-guard set, uh, well, three-guard rotation with Fox and Hilde starting with Bogdanovich coming off the bench and really playing a lot of point guard position with both of those players. It always comes down to that small forward position. So the Kings are going to try to attack it. And if they can attack it in season and pick up a a talented player that fits their player arc, their age arc, like Otto Porter. Uh, I think that they would jump all over that opportunity. Uh, but they're also not going to do anything stupid. And this off season is going to be the wild West. Upwards of 20, I think it's 22 teams have cap space and, uh, like half of the league can become a free agent And so there's an opportunity for them to improve the position there. They've got enough money to pay a guy like Kelly Oubre, uh, more than a team like Washington pay. And, you know, so again, I I see them going out and attacking that one position and then reserving some of the money that they have for when all of these young players are going to come up for their second contracts, because it's just not that far away. The NBA moves so quickly but the Kings have done a great job of positioning themselves. They have $37 million in expiring contracts right now to go with $11 million in cap space. They're the only team in the league with any cap space at all. So they have the ultimate leverage. They can be part of a three-way trade. They could buy out uh, a guy like Zeebo and clear up another $8 million in cap space. Uh, you know, And most of these players, the only one of those four players that are expiring contracts... Is Amon Schumpert. That's the only player that's actually playing. So, a guy like Costa Kufis, who's a very serviceable big that could help a team, uh, a guy like Zebo, who maybe does have a little bit left in the tank and could help a team. Last year, he averaged almost 15 points a game for Sacramento. So, you can move this roster around really, really easily and be a player. And I think the Kings will be, uh, you know, look at the, the December 15th deadline when teams can actually trade players that they acquired over the summer. Look at uh, the the February deadline, the trade deadline. I think the Kings will be players between now and then. Maybe one, maybe two deals, but I I definitely think they'll be
2: players. James, it's been really fun. It's always a good time talking Kings with you. Hopefully we can do it again sometime.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Sorry if I talk so